There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 39 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's a very special episode this week as we count down our top 20 songs of 2016. But before that... Craig Fitzpatrick. Shirley Hansen. How goes it? Not bad, man. Thank you very much. Cool. Happy end of the year time. <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> we're not out of this particular Grim Woods just yet. Okay. Uh, let's hope we all get there. And you too, listener. Cullum. Happy Christmas. I'm not, oh, doing, this, I'm not doing this whole war on religion thing like <laughs> Craig is over there. I meant more the lists, but anyway. Happy Xmas. Indeed. We had a happy Christmas happy at the Hanukkah. Headstuff Party. Too happy, really, wasn't it? It really was. It was ebullient. Should we apologise? I mean, I never apologise, never explain. Obviously, would be my motto. listeners, you know, who were not there and do not know what happened. Basically, we did our best impression of the Beastie Boys in the Fight for Your Right to Party video, and yeah, basically just came in like the rowdy jocks at a high school party and ruined everyone else's fun. We had quite a crew with us as well. We did uh, head stuff guests, uh, no encore guests of your Dave Higgins, Andrea Cleary, Joshua Hughes. And our friend Harry, who will never come on the show, but I think he will someday. One, one day, we'll get yeah. Him. But there was, you know, 99 lovingly blown red balloons that were very, very quickly popped. Repeat. You have to pop balloons, though. It's like their destiny. Yeah, well, you what are you going to do? Just, like, let the air out of them and reuse them next year? got to year. the point that where you were literally stamping on them on the dance floor. Yeah, it was part of my dance. <laughs> there was a killer playlist, though, wasn't there, guys? I thought so. Yeah, 
I think I did a fantastic job. You did, yeah. I especially like the tunes that we put on it. <laughs> well, what can you do? It, well, <laughs> no, that, it's very good, Dave. It's that does good. speak to the diplomacy and the tight knit brotherly love that we have amongst the three of us. Sure. Which led us to this top twenty. Now. We've said before, I'll say it again, we'll get it out of the way, lots of bad things have happened this year, but in terms of releases in music, it's been very, very strong. Yeah. And, as such, on reflection, this was difficult to put together. Yeah, it was really difficult to put together. The one standout thing for me, I think, on this year was that there was a lot of really cohesive and coherent albums that had, you know, maybe five, six, seven tracks that you could feasibly argue were the best on it. Mm -hmm. So, to single one out was very difficult, and in some cases we haven't managed it. And in some, there simply wasn't a standout single song. Yeah. And so there are names that people might be expecting to hear on this list um, that don't make it. I guess it has to be taken in tandem with our albums list as well, though, and that will obviously be next week's show. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting. I don't think any of us were either, you know, we're kind of voting strategically, really. We literally just went with which songs we personally liked the most and then tried to stack them up. So it came out quite strangely, to be honest, in certain respects. But I'm very happy with the list. I think it's it's strong from start to finish. I think it is. And, I mean, the number one surprised me in as much as it was in all three of our lists. But the system that we used meant that it topped everything. And I was kind of like, that's a shock, but I think it's a worthy winner. Uh, One thing to note, though, and I know some lists, some countdowns employ this rule. We didn't. Uh, We felt that if an artist or an act made X amount of songs that should be in the top 20, well, then they're here. So one artist in particular features several times. We'll get to that. (laughs) And I understand the the kind of the idea of, like, you should just pick the best one, but I don't really think that that would have worked. And I think especially with the system that we used in the name of diplomacy, in the name of, of finding a collective, it had to go the way that it went. So while there are, you could say, you could have made more room for other names, but I think that would have been artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose and lists are inherently kind of ridiculous to be, you know, to be honest. So this is the no encore list. It made sense for us to pick the songs that we thought were strongest rather than just going, we have to represent every, you know, facet or every artist that has done something major. Okay, I think we've got our excuses in at this stage. <laughs> if you're still with us, we'll kick it off in reverse order, of course. Our first song. No worries, lads. <laughs> Scared money um, off an album I particularly like, and I think will be in the running next week. Well, I, I know will be in the running next week. Well, frankly, let's be honest. If you let Anderson pack next night or near what you were doing this year, it's probably going to be in the money. Yeah, he's kind of been man of the year in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had an amazing kind of rise to fame, I suppose, off the back of that, you know, numerous Dre features um, last year um, and it kind of proves Dre still has that Midas touch. Although I think he would have been quite, you know, quite honestly fine by himself because he just is in such a rich vein of form. And when this record came out, Yes, Lord, beforehand he'd kind of said, I know, you know, he had his his solo album, um, Malibu, but he was saying, actually, this thing I'm working on um, with knowledge is a masterpiece. You know, he was almost hinting that this is going to be better and we guffawed. And then it turned out to be quite spectacular, including this track. We're so excited that we haven't actually named the track. The track is... I said Scared Money. Did you say Scared Money? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my my apologies. (laughs) We're already falling apart at the seams. Yeah, I mean, this was a very interesting one because the record 
I recall the episode that we reviewed it on, and I wasn't quite as taken on it as the rest of the table, which included Dean Van Wyn and Richard Chambers, and everybody was appalled at me for not getting it at the time. And I thought it was very good, but I will say that it was a record that I felt required more time, and I think as a result, my opinion has definitely escalated on it. I do agree with Colm that everything Anderson Pack has done this year has been pretty much flawless. And I think Scared Money is the best cut off this record. I think it's a great way to start this list. I think it's an impeccable song. It completely sums up what this record is about and the style that they were going for and pretty much it feels like they effortlessly pulled it off. Yeah. And it's great. It has that it harkens back to different eras without sounding too kind of kitschy. Like it doesn't seem like it's trying too hard. Yeah. It's really, really fun and I think it's a perfect, perfect start to the list. Yeah, it's great. It's a great sample to use. I mean, you mentioned harking back to yeah. eras. It's like the very second that the song comes in, like from the start, you think like this this could be an eighties theme song. Oh, very much so. Tony yeah. Danza stars and scared money. Yeah. <laughs> um, BB and Q bands, I could never say it's over. It's the sample, and it's just great. Um, but they build on it so well, and just Anderson's, you know, you know when that sample comes in, you're like, okay, this is promising, and you know he's going to deliver, and he does tenfold. So yeah, great track. Well, we'll move on. Yeah, it's those Weaker Corners boys, friends of the show, possibly not friends of Colm Regan anymore after they got his name wrong. Connor Headstuff, you mean. <laughs> and the guest list of their excellent Button Factory gig, Middle Kids, the opening track of The Cadences of Others, an album that was very well received by us. Craig, you were absent from that episode. I know, so I'm very, let's very have upset. your And the gig as well. What kind of human being are you? A uh, <laughs> bad one? Let's, that, have your, let's have your thoughts on this. I love this, and I love the record. I've, I've come to it kind of retrospectively as it were, because I missed out on that week. Um, but no, album opener, and you couldn't really ask for much better. I mean, it has that kind of big opening. It really grips you, strings. But then, I mean, lyrically, I've always thought lyrically they're outstanding. And Connell's vocals, he kind of almost at times kind of folds in on himself. Mm. It's quite interesting. So there's a weird intimacy um, and kind of, I don't know, yeah, intimacy mixed with this kind of quite grandiose sonical thing to begin it off and you really ushered into okay this could go anywhere and it sounds great yeah it builds beautifully like you say from that string intro to like what really is a towering crescendo at the end mm. and uh yeah even the little touch to to allow his voice to be the last thing that's ringing out at, at the finish is is i think a, a really great touch um i compared it to arcade fire when we reviewed the album and and i stand by that and, and it's praise indeed but you know, musically, it it's complex without getting sort of convoluted. Lyrically, it's you know ambitious, but it never feels highfalutin or bogged down. Um, it's a great track and yeah. fantastic album opener. Yeah, I mean, they're a band that you can never accuse of a lack of confidence. They very much do things their own way and have always kind of had that erudite air without it being too pretentious. And I think that Middle Kids, the first time you hear it, you're like, okay, very much straight away, you're like. I know we're on the right path here. I know we're kind of going... To go, I mean, I know I'm going into a record that will will match this. Like, I mean, it, 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 there's no... There is the build-up. It is a crescendo. It is that kind of a song. But straight away, all the sutures are, like, fastened so tight. And you're like, yeah, they've completely nailed this. It's reflected in, in one of the best albums of the year. And, yeah, I mean, it's just... I don't really have much more else to say apart from, like, it's an absolute pleasure to see them hit the marks that they're hitting. And I think Middle Kids is 
arguably the standout track on the record. I mean, it's definitely the standout track that, we, that has made this list. But you could easily pick another one because that album is definitely, definitely worth checking out if you haven't yet. And maybe we will pick another track. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear another one. There were multiple tracks of our number 18 that made... Uh, hopefully it hasn't changed in the week in between this <laughs> episode actually being released and recorded. Yes, it's Wolves, um, taken from the by, by Kanye West. <laughs> we should point out. Surrounded by the fucking Wolves. Yeah, that was Dave, that wasn't and Kanye. Kanye! That was the version with Vic Mensa and Sia. Well, is the, this the, the one? We, have the time we haven't actually talked about this because when I was putting together a little playlist, I was oh, well, of course, Frank's track is there as well. And it should be. And it should be. So yes. are we including that? We are including yeah. the Frank Ocean Coda. <laughs> now, this is a song perhaps more than any other on a record that has been picked apart by its creator more than any other on I think on any album that's come out this year Wolves has existed in several different forms mm. I mean, initially we got snippets of it on an SNL medley performance in which C and Vic Mensa were present for there was talk of it opening up this record when the record was probably called Swish or Waves at one point it comes out finally and it gets changed again. There's a version which takes, which removes Vic Mensa, I believe, and mm. adds in Frank Ocean. Mm. Finally, he tweaks it one more time, maybe even two more times, and it's stacked to the deck. I think this is one of the best songs of the year. I think this is magnificent. I think this is Kanye at his most kind of uh, vulnerable, stark, yeah. and incredibly searching. I understand arguments against this track in as much as his verses towards the end veer on the side of, you know, quite juvenile, you might say. I I think they work. But I think the atmosphere created in the song is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And uh, as a matter of fact, guys, I was on a bus today and there was a incredible low winter sun right outside the window, like fucking beaming in. And like I found myself kind of hypnotized while listening to this song and I hope I haven't done myself irreparable retina damage or anything. It's entirely possible. But the more the song went on, and as each voice kind of made its own kind of noise, and me just kind of looking at this sun, which was kind of moving away in the distance, by the time Frank Ocean comes on and he says, like, there's light with no heat, there's all I could do not to cry, guys. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're going to wow. have to listen to this for the next 17 tracks. <laughs> Dave on various buses. <laughs> Dave having a moment. Uh, I think this is an absolutely stunning, beautiful song. Yeah, like this wouldn't have actually been high up there on my list, but I think it's it's a fitting kind of addition, just in terms of what it represents about the life of Pablo. As you say, Dave, it kind of had you know had the essence of the life of Pablo and how switched around it was. It's a kind of interesting pivot as well in the album. I know on the final version, it's kind of towards the end before the bonus tracks, but it feels like a switch moment for when he goes from this kind of almost you know gangster cliche thing or he starts talking about his family and he gets a bit more introspective. Um, so it has that duality to it. Um, so yeah, it kind of sums up what the life of Pablo is. If It's it's if one of the more that. honest moments yeah, on the record, very much so. I do think. I, you use the word vulnerable, and I think that's a very good word to use. And uh, yeah, it, it also probably shows a clarity of thought that is not always 
uh, a constant through the album. So, yeah, one of the standout cuts, certainly. And personally, I think he made a good shout in the end in uh, settling on the version with, with Vic and Sia and yeah. then leaving Frank as a coda. I think it sits very nicely Absolutely. indeed. Absolutely. And the Frank coda is just spellbinding. It really is. And it accomplishes so much in, like, what, 30 seconds? Like, maybe even less? It's yeah. just... It's absolutely gorgeous, and I'm sure we'll be talking about Frank Ocean before this list is finished, but for now... Another track that accomplishes quite a lot in relatively short space of time. 17. Well, I'll you up, but I'll take you by the touch. Darling, gonna feel you crap. Bonnie Vare with Debt Breast, or 10 Debt Breast, 2 X's. Is that how we're supposed to correctly pronounce it? Two small dice. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, taken off 22 million, obviously. um, A record we all loved. And again, this is another one of those records where it's almost kind of being defeated by the fact it's so good and it works so well as a flowing piece. This is it. It's a fool's errand to try to pick out like one song. Yeah from this and say this is what you have to hear but I think maybe just because this was the first taste of the album sure uh, it really kind of grabbed us at the time uh, it's just somebody who is pushing it out there and trying things yeah. and very successfully at that in terms of the presentation I would say that that, that is two dice at the end of the thing which actually calls to mind one of my favourite Drahada expressions of all time in which somebody <laughs> once said about I think about a friend of hers as well which is what makes it even better she's got more faces than a dice I don't know if that's just Drahada, but I like it. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It's very good. <laughs> what do yeah, you think of the track, it. Dave? <laughs> I, I think the track is as good as that expression, if not better. Uh, I agree with Cullum in the idea of, I, I will confess now, I, I, I will let everybody know that I didn't put a single Bonnie Iver track in my top 20. However, Bonnie Iver did chart quite high in my albums, so it's not to jump ahead till next week. But simply because I feel it works wonderfully coherently as, as an individual piece uh, and I think you know it's one, that's why I think it's one of the better albums of 2016 not that the songs don't stand up on their own but I kind of feel like they are they lose a little bit divorced from context but I would agree that this one because it's more immediate than most of the tracks on there it is like a like it's like a freight train yeah and it's like it, stampeding horses to percussion completely and it just comes at you and like it effectively kind of asks you to make a decision and I know some people with this record and with the direction that Bonnie Iver have taken even people I know who were huge fans of the first First two records, they this material lost them. Uh, with us, I think it completely grabbed yeah. us by the lapels and brought us forward. It it does seem quite polarizing, which just struck me as odd because as much <coughs> as he's doing interesting stuff with the sounds, I mean melodically it's still all there. So it's you know it, it's not kind of blowing any. Well, clearly it is blowing people's minds. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things is that as Dave said, you know, you kind of have to make a decision, and and even just within this song it's difficult to know whether you're meant to dig down or just get swept away as in whether you're actually meant to be unpacking it as it goes Mm. or you just let it wash over you either way i think there's a reward in both absolutely and i mean it's interesting to see how you do react to certain songs up next the song that gave cullum an erection 16 
Yeah, the secrets of our Facebook group chat flying out there. Um, when <laughs> the I first li- of many on this list. When I listened to Endless uh, the morning it was released in the office, uh, Wolfgang Tillman's device control came on to play us out. And the second that that beat came in after, whatever, 80 seconds or something, yeah, I all got excited. So what you're saying is you've no device control? <laughs> Apparently not, no. Um, and that's probably why you don't work there anymore, is it? I don't think that had anything to do with it, thankfully. Please leave. It, uh, we are talking euphemistically, by the way, before anybody <laughs> starts to open up like a historic crimes case against me. Jesus. Um, okay, tell people who Wolfgang Tillmans is and why he is involved at the end of Frank Ocean's record. Yeah, well, so, frankly, frankly, if you pardon the pun, um, I won't. I don't, I know, no, I no, I don't no. know exactly how it got picked up for use on the record. Well, I think Frank just heard it. I mean, the way um, Wolfgang tells it, I mean, he's a German photographer. He hasn't been known for music really whatsoever. I think he's done some collaborations where he's done designs for things. And obviously he's photographed Frank, so maybe they're friendly. Frank heard this track, um, sent him a message saying, I love it, it's, it's brilliant. Can I, you know, will you give me clearance to use a sample of it? Um, he said, yeah, no problem. And then the next week when Endless came out, he realized, oh, wow, he ended up using the entire song at the yeah, end of it. Because we didn't know. I mean, like Endless, which is the visual album which preceded Blonde, uh, which is either the greatest contractual fuck you of all time or an incredible work of art on its own merit or both. And essentially, this is what closes that album. And we didn't know, like listening to it for the first time, watching it for the first time on that kind of rainy Friday morning slash afternoon. It was like, it's so different to everything that comes before. It's this kind of crazy house uh, Kraftwerkian sort of commentary yeah. on materialistic cultures and, you know, fucking phones and, th- and stuff like that and communication and how it's all changed and all that kind of thing. So this comes on and you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And you're like, is this Frank Ocean? Like, we thought it was at mm-hmm. first because, like, of course, you would. You'd be like, okay, there are plenty of samples on here, as you might expect. But then again... It's clearly not him singing, but you feel like he made this song. He went, like this must be a song that he created. Turns out it wasn't because a few hours later, Wolfgang Tillmans went on Instagram or whatever and revealed that. So it was a case of no, no. He just used this effectively as the end credits for Endless. Yeah, and it also kind of kicks things off. We get a small snip of it at the start, so it, it actually works as well as this kind of strange packaging for what Endless is. You know that one thing that it is, which is clearly him <laughs> wriggling free of this, you know, Apple contract, and it's kind of you know you know, poking a finger at how reliant we are on tech companies and how much part of our lives is. So it's very subversive. It does that, though, without being sort of preachy oh, and pontificating. So, yeah. You know, I think there have episode. been tracks, um, the Soul Wax one a few weeks ago that we talked about. Um, of course, Sad Robot World, one of our... Uh, well, pet shop much, boys. Yeah, pretty much at the opposite end of this list. We as should far spoil as the that Sad Robot World is not, in fact, our number one song of the year. Yeah, but there, you know, there, there, there is a certain way to write about, you know, our sort of techno overlords that uh, that Sad tends to just be world. ridiculous. Um, yeah. But this doesn't fall into that trap. It just works because it's kind of slow, sloganeering. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind of divorced. It's an art installation. Really, it's, yeah. a, it's a fun art installation, which you know don't always go together, <laughs> and it is incredibly fun. It's so enjoyable to listen to. It flies by at about seven minutes. Uh, it moves at a clip once that kicks in, and it's irresistible. And that's why it has made our list. But up next. Yeah, um, a band that I was probably always going to fall in love with, Lost Under Heaven. 
because <laughs> Justin Bieber. They've dropped the "le," so we can stop having to say "le" now. Yeah, it's lost under okay, heaven there. Yeah, it's lost yeah. under heaven. So lost under heaven. Painful couple of months. <laughs> lost under heaven is uh, Ebony Horn and Ellery James Roberts. Ellery James Roberts, who was the singer of Woo Life, a band that Craig and I were very, very into. Mm. He's got that incredible gravelly voice, which you either love or you hate, or if you're Cullum, you're kind of somewhere in the middle on. And with this song, the first time I heard it, like I was like, "Yeah, this is like this was like kind of my number one for the year for quite a while." I think it's just stunning. I think it's absolutely wonderful and incredibly life affirming. And I think in a year like twenty sixteen, vocal a vocal line like you know, because all we are is just people trying. All we are is just people trying to live. Carries a lot more weight at the end of the year than you might have wanted it to. And it's a track that I, I adore everything in it. I think the production is stunning. The Hacks and Cloak did incredible work on this record. Even like using a saxophone and it not being, you know, so ostentatious that it's just, it's, it's a lovely, lovely bed when it comes in. This is a song I have returned to repeatedly since the first time I heard it. I'm never bored by it. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, the Shades of Depeche mode, I think, from from this track or something like yeah. that. As you say, not blown away by his vocals when taken in the full album context. I think what really works with this song is that it is a song where there is a tangible sense of defiance. And so... The fact that, you know, like he is in that sort of impassioned tone throughout yeah, yeah. Um, definitely suits. And of course, as well, yeah, the fact that musically, I mean, there is soaring ambition here. And so it it, it all fits together extremely nicely. Yeah, it's kind of Woo Life supersized, you know, with since uh, Because yeah. a lot of this record is, uh, I mean, Ebony Horn really gives a nice balance to it and takes him in interesting directions. But I think actually there's a lot of his roots in this. Um, but suddenly he's coming out behind this kind of cl- cloud of, you know, the mystery of real life and the kind of maybe downer stuff of, but also the lyrics that were kind of impenetrable and he's being, a, as you say, Dave, life affirming and quite clear in his message. And it's a kind of, it's a really nice release of a song. Well, it's interesting because even like a song like titled Beneath the Concrete, and I mean, essentially yeah. a lot of the record deals with the idea of dying and the idea of what you leave behind, but it also kind of challenges you to question what's around you and move forward in life and try and make the most and best of it. And that's one of the reasons why I adore the record as well and I think that this song is just a complete home run up next uh, a song that quite surprises me by its inclusion or at least would have at the start of the year 14 what you want Shadow Puppets. Now, a band I've never quite taken to, a mm. band who happened to have released maybe the worst performance of the year when they played Bad Habits on the Seth Meyers show. Like, yeah, I mean, that, that is poor. just <laughs> legendarily terrible. Yeah. We reviewed the record on the show. I was fairly non-committal about it. If I'm honest, I didn't really give it the time of day because I just had this thing about it. And it turns out the joke's on me because in their most playful track to date, they fucking nailed it. Yeah, it's all about the melody in this one. You know, Burt Backrack would have been proud of this. And it's great as well. It's like doubly brilliant because it's, you know, such a throwaway record. Everything he does, uh, Alex does at the moment, seems to be with a wink and a nudge. But he can still just toss off these kind of immediate tunes. But what is a miracle aligner, Craig? That's well, what he, I know. he told Zane Lowe that this song is about a yoga teacher, so... <laughs> all right, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I must say that I think it took uh, seeing Last Shadow Puppets live during a three-night stand in the Olympia for me to kind of like really appreciate this album. Um, it's kind of got that lazy lounge groove going on yeah, or something, yeah. as it does in this song in particular. 
and yeah maybe it it just took the you know the kind of the live setting the lighting all the rest of it for it to for it to properly come together in my eyes but uh you know you're right i mean it's great melody it is a playful song but there's just this ever so slight edge of sinister thought going on in the back of it maybe that's just me i don't know but this sort of it says more about you than it says about the song <laughs> I but I, I yeah I, I think that the this kind of mysterious miracle aligner character i don't know i i, I think it's interesting the yoga that, instructor yeah that it wasn't fully defined <laughs> as to exactly what it was yeah I very mean, much so you yeah. know when you're getting down on your knees it sounds like it could easily have been a song about a pimp so I, I do well, enjoy- yoga instructors aren't paid that much, so God knows what else he's doing to you know meet, meet, make ends meet. Yeah, but no, th- th- this is <laughs> uh, this is a great song. It's it's the peak of a record, and uh, yeah, certainly kind of like the best thing that they've done thus far. I think. Yeah, mm. more of this, please. I mean, like this feels like they weren't trying to impress so much, and I think that's the main problem I have with this act. And I feel like, of course, you know, like there's no way this song happens without Alex Turner. We know that Miles Kane is the dead weight of this group. <laughs> and- of the two piece, <laughs> <laughs> of the two piece. Yeah, he's fifty percent. He's that guy in Wham. Uh, Andrew Ridgely? Uh, yeah. Thank you, yes. All right. Give me a round of applause. Thank you. And I feel like, yeah, this song is more surface for me, but I do feel like every list should have some surface songs, and I think that in the best possible way, this one doesn't wear out. It's welcome. Like Beneath the Concrete, I find it really uh, easy to return to and great on the ear. So, well done, lads. You've shocked the world. Someone known for shocking the world is next. 13. Beautiful morning. I just wanna feel liberated, I know. I just wanna feel liberated, I know. If I am instigated, I am sorry. Tell me who in here can relate, I It's Kanye West again. With Father Shares My Hands Parts 1 and 2. Now, Craig. Are we cheating? I think we're well. This is the this is the question. Do you consider Kill Bill by Quentin Tarantino one film or two? Yes, of course, one film. Call them. Yeah, one film. So do I. So in that regard, we'll call it the Kill Bill rule. It's grand. Uh, it's fine. So Craig, take us away. Um, I I would still include this if even if we just had parts one, but part two we also get. But you know, just sneak in Designers Panda, which was one of the biggest songs of the year. But this is the only way it actually works because he uses maybe a couple of lines, a couple of bars before it really you know wears out its welcome. But overall, I mean, this is. Parts one and two, a combined four minutes. Mm. You go through so many different sections. It's just this huge saga. And of course, it has that hook from Kid Cudi, which is probably my hook of the year. It is the sort of, you know, aspect of Pablo that's probably split people uh, in, in certain places where, like you say, you do go through a lot of different ideas, but like a lot of different ideas in four minutes and not always perfectly aligned and coherent either there is sort of disperse yeah, yeah. things coming together here um i mean the, the the main hook is beautiful it's fantastic and i th- I think part two ha- has a vibe that i particularly enjoy that it turns that little bit more immediate perhaps um that little bit darker and uh and yeah, we, yeah. I, I think it kind of helps to pull some of it together i'd argue that it is perfectly aligned miraculously aligned if you will <laughs> Imperfectly, perfectly aligned. Uh, it, like I've said before, that Life Pablo to me is Kanye's id on a record, and up to fever pitch. And therefore, tracks like this, which seem like snatches of sketches, but kind of fit together in their own very, very strange sticklebrick way, I think work perfectly in that regard. And there is just so much. This is genuinely like about ten songs in one or two, if you if you want to go with those two parts, which we're ignoring, <laughs> and. 
you're never stuck for something. You kind of maybe want them to flesh it out a bit more, but at the same time, how good is it to be like, oh man, I just I want so much more from this, and I can go back to it and, and deal with it in, in its current form. Maybe it wouldn't work if it was a more conventional effort. And for Kanye West, I mean, even like I think his performance on it is very strong as well. I think mm-hmm. when he kind of like lets loose and he's he's never really praised and he's often criticized for his rapping style. I think on this one, he's fucking punching well above his weight. I mean, it does have the bleached ass outline, but it's such a trail ride. You just get breeze right past it. But that line's hilarious. It is. And then when he's, you know, I just want to feel liberated. It's just, yeah. It's I think Kanye West is a lot funnier than he gets credit for. Oh, yeah. Much, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think it works perfectly. I think it's a great microcosm of that record and you know where he was at in his life and you know obviously we hope he's doing better after recent travails uh one such artist who very much brought coherence to their record this year is next 12 y'all hate us corny with that illuminati mess Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. And interestingly, it's a track that is maybe a bit of an outlier on mm. Lemonade as a whole. This yeah. is Beyonce and Formation. It was the first taste that we got from the record. She released the video uh, kind of as a surprise uh, the day before the Super Bowl, I think. Then a live performance at the Super Bowl, which uh, got everybody terribly excited. Uh, the announcement of the tour. Which and, you and went whatnot. to? Yeah, I absolutely did. Gig, gig of the year? Uh, it, it's up there. I mean, it, it's always difficult to mm. kind of judge a, a gig in Croke Park with, you know, some band that you saw in Whelan's. So it's very difficult yeah. to parse them in that sense. But yeah, she was fantastic. And this is, I mean, this it, it's an amazing song. I listened back to it again last night, you know, having not heard it for a month or two, say. And there are just, there's hooks on hooks on hooks here. I mean, melodically, lyrically, vocally, there's so much. I can't remember so much being packed in. You'd almost think it was a cynical uh, attempt at kind of selling T-shirts or ringtones or something, (laughs) apart from the fact that it actually works so perfectly. It's kind of deceptively sparse as well when you first hear it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is dominated by her vocals, and that is something we said about the whole record. She had so many collaborators on on it, but it just, you know, she stamped her kind of mark all over the the entire record. As you say, it's an outlier. It's a bit of a red herring, what we got, because it's, it's political. It's not dealing with her, you know relationship as the rest of the records did um but yeah i mean it, it got in the news it got a part of the conversation i mean after the likes of ferguson um actually i don't even know if we should be talking about the track because killer mike was on bill Maher's real time and said why people this conversation wasn't even for you he was saying actually this is her saying to the black community listen guys i'm not in the illuminati <laughs> yeah it's grand i still have hot sauce in my bag i mean even hillary clinton stole that thing by saying she liked to carry on hot sauce when she was on course, black radio worked out well for her didn't it yeah her hot sauce also is the pet name for the baseball bat that she was <laughs> yeah of course yeah yeah concert or in the uh, album film yeah not to get too political uh, oh come on Dave it's a call to arms for sure and mm. well it's interesting to see like, that like Beyonce is topping uh, a lot of critics lists predominantly white critics male and female so I, know, I think that's interesting Lemonade is a fabulous record and this is arguably the standout in as much as it's probably the most radio friendly if that's the right term yeah um, disagree the, okay the, 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 I mean the, I, I can certainly see an argument for that like I say there's just so much 
of this song that you can kind of just chop into like a ten minute slot. And sure, I do love the build. Ten though. seconds, slot, like I adore I like the opening seconds. Just like that, like use of production, that mm. use of kind of instrumentation is phenomenal. Yeah. she owns this track. Like she owns pretty much every track on this record. And a lot of people have put Lemonade up at number one for the year. And I, I totally understand why. I think Formation is excellent, and I think it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a fucking banger. Like I mean, not not, not to reduce the seriousness of the track and what it's about un, under the layers, but like even if you do that, like you're left with one of the best songs of the year by a mile. Yeah, it works at a number of different levels, and I guess that is the sign of extremely well-made pop. Uh, That from one of the year's standout albums that's going to be on the top of a lot of lists. Next entry is from an album that's unlikely to be bothering the top of most people's lists, but does have a hidden gem in there. Eleven. Yeah, it's been a long time since Garbage had released an album and Strange Little Birds got some reaction, but not a ton. However, this track, even though our love is doomed, sits as the centrepiece of the record and fittingly just about the centrepiece of our chart. Um, It's a grower. Yeah, It takes a little bit of time, but it definitely rewards patience here. I think even the section of the track that we've chosen to play works in as much as we're giving very little away even playing those 30 seconds uh that is a teaser of a song that itself is a teaser i'm so impressed by the elegance of this track i think it's an absolutely beautiful love song and i think shirley manson has never sounded better it manages to you know build and eventually give you the payoff that a conventional song would dictate that it should without screaming at you even though the production does do those ticks that it does go to where you might think it will it does it with such a grace and such a charm that I found this song to be quicksand in the best kind of way. It completely enveloped me. I think it's incredibly hypnotic. Uh, I think it's, I mean, arguably their best song. I mean, like, like it's to come back and, well, at this stage of the game, I mean, to come back and like and, and bring out something like this, which is just so confident and so powerful. My hat is off. I think this is wonderful. It made me kind of nostalgic for Garbage, which I thought I never would be. So that's an accomplishment in itself. Um, her vocals are great on this. Um, she does that sultry kind of thing. So, well, there's, you know, flex of Porter's head in this. But it's just, yeah, as you say, hypnotic, but understated. I mean, it's it's not kind of giving it all away. Um, and yeah, it's it's a captivating tune, I have to say. I really like it. Yeah, and even when it builds towards that sort of big, fuzzy end game, it never does get kind of yeah. over-egged or hysterical or anything like that. It's, it's proof that restraint uh, can be a good thing and that even though there's kind of darkness and light in the song, you know, maybe just the contrast is turned down or something. Um, it, it does have that sort of very gentle, very easygoing, and as you say, massively confident um way about itself that um yeah I, I found it a fantastic song and i'm very glad that it's made this list yeah caught before we get to our top 10 we're gonna have an ad from a very annoying person 
Hey listeners, this is Dave Hannity from the No Encore Podcast, reminding you that the No Encore Podcast is just one of many on the Headstuff Podcast Network. You've got all kinds of things on there from Juvenalia, a show about things you liked when you were younger, the Alison Spittle Show, which is usually a live ramshackle affair with some excellent guests, the Headstuff Podcast itself, which is where we originated from, uh, which is on a hiatus at the moment, but it pops up every now and then with excellent interviews. Uh, there is our Sexual History, a new podcast about sex, which I know Craig is particularly interested in. Love that. And there's more to come as well, so keep an eye on that and get your ears round it. Now back to the top ten. Ten. And also... Nine. And also... Eight. Round your city, round the clock. Everybody needs you. No, you can't make everybody equal. Although you got Buku family, you don't even got nobody being honest with you. Breathe till I evaporated. My whole body see through transportation handmade. three in a row what the hell yeah now <laughs> the hat trick from frank this is the ultimate album that we were talking about earlier where trying to single out the one ultimate th- album <laughs> no but we're trying to single out one track and say well this stands above the others uh, is yeah difficult this legitimately best. happened by the way this wasn't just let's group him together yeah this is how it actually turned out 10 9 and 8 knights nikes and pink and white by frank ocean i guess start at number 10 i suppose Nights? Yeah, well, it was my number two, um, so it's a disgrace that it's only number ten. But no, I mean, so many tracks that you could have high up in your list. Um, I think this is fantastic. I mean, it's about, it's one of the kind of most up-tempo, you know, immediate moments on the record until it then switches and it kind of outdrakes Drake in a really, really good way. Um, I think it's a a phenomenal track. Um, You know what I mean. (laughs) Drake's had a bad No, I get you. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's Uh, even that, like, Bonnie Verish passage just before he goes all Drake and it breaks down. Yeah, there really is. I mean, there's a lot going on with this. It's just so evocative. Um, And, yeah, it kind of, it ties in nicely kind of with the themes of the record. I mean, there's that nostalgia 
it's a very dreamlike record. We've talked about that before. So we're getting snatches of his memories, um, but also where he's at right now and feeling like he's, he's torn in different directions. So it has that kind of, again, duality of the record um, that we will also talk about with Nikes, which, which places in the record. So, yeah. It's one of the things that he does so well is to have the dexterity to, like you say, sort of have that nostalgia mm-hmm. while also very much addressing his sort of current state. Um sometimes literally without pausing for breath. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's an extremely difficult thing to do across a track, never mind an album. And yet this is, you know, just one of the very good snapshots of, of how good he has at doing that. Yeah, you say snapshot. And I think what's one of the reasons why I love Blonde so much and why I love these tracks so much is you almost get the sense that you're hanging out with them. You almost get the yeah. sense that you're there. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, like, that is rare, so like that must be exceptionally difficult to pull off. And mm. I don't even know if he was going for that, but like I genuinely with a track like Nights, as soon as it starts, you genuinely feel like you're walking down the street with them. You can sure. picture, you can you're, picture the you're city, in that world, yeah. you can picture the city that you're in, you can picture the people around you, you can picture the, the lights on buildings. Like you just, it's so fucking evocative, yeah, and it pulls you right in with them. And I, that is just stunning. That is exceptional. Especially in tracks that, again, aren't terribly conventional, don't worry about courses, don't worry about hitting, ticking boxes, and very much are reflective of the artist finding himself and doing his own thing. And if people are with him, great. And a lot of people, to be fair, aren't. I mean, I know Frank Ocean and Blonde have been talked about so often this year, but there are a lot of people who don't get it and don't like it, and I understand why. But I was suckered in by pretty much everything that he did this year. And Knights is... An incredible midpoint on that record. Yeah, as well. it's an example of him just being effortless, isn't it? Like it's so catchy, it's so great. You're hooked into it, but as you say, it's quite odd. The structure of it seems a bit off, and he just breezes through it. Like, yeah, this is what I'm doing, and everyone should love it. In some ways, that effortlessness does contrast. Like I say, in some ways, with a song like Nike's, which mm. is very deliberate in its use of you know that vocal pitch. Yep. Um in terms of the video itself which was you know brought out with the track uh, 12 hours before the album was unveiled um it's it's very much you know a very contrived thing but at the same time yeah it does have that sort of natural element to it and yeah, one of the things yeah. that amazes me is that once again he shifts from i mean he seems to if i'm reading the lyrics correctly uh talk about like sleeping with some girl and being incredible in bed to pouring one out for Asep Yams and, you know, how he feels connected to Trayvon Martin within literally three lines. Yeah, and he's... That's an extraordinary thing to do. It really is. And he's talked about using that kind of pitch shift because he was saying, "I I was using so many characters and not necessarily different people, but different stages in his life to kind of get these expressions out. And I didn't feel like this one voice was doing it justice. So he kind of switched it up. And it makes for really kind of, okay, where are we at with this record as an opener? Because you're kind of, it's not his true voice to open it. You don't, you're kind of don't really know where, where you are, but you kind of want to find out. And it's about three minutes or so before he quote-unquote properly reveals himself. Mm. And even then, I mean, like, coming back to the song, I am almost I almost don't want him to. That pitch-shifted vocal, again, that can be marmite for some people's ears. I think it works stunning, particularly in this juxtaposition of sounds and styles. That, like, opening kind of crawl and... By comparison to a lot of stuff on Blonde and even a lot of stuff on Endless, this is downright propulsive when it comes to, you know, rhythm. You know, like, sure. like, and, and it's not propulsive at all. No. <laughs> and yet it just completely like has you moving with it and it has you reacting to it, like body, mind, and probably soul. And it's just exceptional. And he manages to go from serious real life issues to this kind of 
a, a depiction of kind of a bacchanalian lifestyle and it ends on a crude punchline and yet it doesn't rob it of anything mm. it feels like even the video like i mean like this feels like okay you know is this really like an average night out for frank ocean this looks insane but whether it is or whether it isn't, he once again takes you to a place, and it's a place that you somehow, some way, feel comfortable in. But it's funny, I'm not sure he takes you there so much as invites you to come along. I think I think there is an inherent sort of invitation, almost challenge on this track, that, you know, it, it could, because of its sort of spacey, airy nature, it could be throwaway for some people. And there's no doubt that there are some people who have listened to this album and felt it was, you know, background music. Oh, I've seen people, like, on on Twitter say stuff like, I'm giving it one more go, and then, like, half an hour, they're like, no, I'm out. Yeah. I don't get them. And I'm like, okay, I feel sorry for you. And like I say, I think maybe if you don't invest and you don't sort of cling on to it, uh, then, okay, maybe you come to that conclusion. But, uh, no, if if you actually trust that it's going to go somewhere worthwhile. Very much worth it. Um, very much worth it. And of course, it's not long in the album until you get to Pink and White, which is uh, the third Frank track in a row that we have on yeah, this list. In, in which he enlists Beyonce and then barely uses her. She's just like floating uh, around in the background and, somewhere. And isn't even credited. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, um, to kind of just reinforce how kind of, you know, imperious he is. And I think this is an important track along with, you know, a couple of the others where it's maybe more of a conventional moment. Certainly it's the most maybe opulent sounding song in terms of we get a bit more conventional stuff there's that beautiful piano and it seems like this kind of stately dream pop and I think you need those moments where he just kind of you know goes okay I can still do this thing and be better than everyone else so (laughs) (laughs) that's what Pink and White does for me yeah it's beautiful it is absolutely gorgeous and Running Through Blonde is this kind of dichotomy of light and dark and even like Nike's does it so well Pink and White is much more on the light side of things yeah but it's a dance, and it's just, it's a pleasure to watch this man work. And that's pretty much what it is. This is almost where you sit back from it and just watch him go. Yeah. And he does it at his own pace. Once again, it's leisurely as all hell. But it's elegant, it's gorgeous, it's stunning. I, I do think that all these superlatives apply and more. I can't get over the, the magic he has created with these tracks. It's true, and, and tip to the hat as well to Pharrell. Maybe it was Frank's magic rubbing off on him, but this is... This is Pharrell behaving himself, basically. This is not Pharrell going... He really should. He's well, been a very bad boy. Well, you know, he could have turned this into yeah. Justin Timberlake or Ed Sheeran or anything else that he's been doing of late. Um, and he certainly doesn't. Yeah. And I don't, think, room I don't think Frank would have allowed him to. You no. know, he just, yeah. But I think that's the fascinating thing, actually. I think you kind of nailed it there, Colm. I think restraint is the thing about this Frank Ocean project. And you almost include Endless in that as well, in which both of these works are, they are indulgent. They are. Massively so. But at the same time, he pulls back constantly and doesn't scream at you and doesn't give you too much, even when he does actually scream at you on one of the tracks. And that takes serious doing. And if Frank Ocean never made another record again, I'd be like, well, that's a loss. But at the same time, my God, man, the work you've done. Glorious. He's listening. (laughs) Talking of superstar producer collaborations, I'll... Indeed, maybe somebody who we're not sure if they should make another record again. <laughs> Seven.
Okay, maybe the No More Records is harsh, certainly, if you can produce more like this. The Weekend Starboy should title have been an track. EP. Yeah. Should have been an EP. Title track and lead single of what is instead uh, an 18-track album, which we were not impressed by last week, if you missed that episode. Um, but this is excellent. This has yeah. that token efficiency that we talked about with Great Pop, where there's very, very little wasted movement. And everything benefits because of that. Why don't we talk about the running argument we've been having in our group chat for the past <laughs> three months or so, in which I've been like, it's the best song of the year. Now, I, I didn't I didn't name it my song of the year. No, Nike's, you didn't. So Ni- you lost that argument song of the year. with yourself. No, but nonetheless, <laughs> I was like, I was like saying, I was like, it took both of you guys a long time to come around to this. A to- week it took me. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than that, man. Much more than that. I remember you popped up one day and you were like, okay, I'll be honest, Dave was right. Not about it being song of the year. But being but up there, for sure. Yeah, there certainly was a lot more layers to it than I'd given it credit for. But I did say at the time, I mean, this is very promising. I mean, the hope was real when this yeah. came out. Like, okay, we're getting something that's going to be very interesting. Well, I guess the thing is, he asks a lot of questions on this track, or at least hints at asking questions that, you know, I guess we presumed might be answered. And that was certainly part of why th- this track is engrossing, because he seems to take on his newfound celebrity mm. fame, uh, wealth, all these sorts of issues in, in a way that's probably a little more thoughtful than ostentatious. Yeah, and on this record, a lot of the time he's kind of trying on different you know styles. He's almost trying to run with trends, which just isn't working when he's been such an innovator in the past. But with this, he's kind of, and then lyrically, sorry, throughout the rest of the record, you just have this kind of jaded, oh my God, my life is amazing, but I hate the fact that it's amazing, so I'm just going to moan about it. He kind of does that on this, but he does it with a shrug, he just kind of brushes it off, he kind of accepts that he's now a star, and he does some of the old weekend kind of swagger thing, and it works really well, that darkness. Yeah, I recall a review of this in Vulture, which I believe is the art section offshoot of the New York Magazine. And essentially, the critic was saying that he he never comes out of first gear. This is him on autopilot. It's really lazy. Daft Punk don't do anything. It goes nowhere. It never peaks. And I remember at the time being like, you're wrong. (laughs) You're so fucking wrong. This is yet another example of restraint being used as a weapon. And, you know, this is what you kind of wanted him to capture on a record where instead he kind of ended up ultimately going the other way and bloating it all out. But Starboy, as a track, is glorious. It's absolutely glorious. It is... You know, if you follow the narrative constructed in the video, it's it's Abel Tesvay killing off his old self to kind of incorporate his new one, which, as, we, as we've stressed already, doesn't quite fly over the course of 18 tracks and, and an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it is. But on these four minutes here, I think all the choices that were made lend to absolute perfection. I think it's him at his swaggersome best, while also, as you say, Colm, giving you a bit of complexity, a bit of knowing depth. And I think the production by Daft Punk is, is absolutely aces and superb. And it's a shame that the record of the same name let it down, but as a track, stunning. Yeah, collection that was not let down was a man that we mentioned earlier, Anderson Pack. Quite a year he had. Six. A bird with a word came to me The sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look was taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do A bird with a word came The bird sits at number six on our list um, It's the track from Malibu It is quite fantastic And it's funky, it's fun 
It's a great way to open a record. Yeah. Um, it's very soulful. Um, and it shows kind of... I mean, Early Doors in this year, it was such a great opening and to such a great record. And it does that soulful thing so well, it could be like a 70s standard. Um, it could and be it, John Legend yeah, or something at times. Yeah, except better. <laughs> oh, so, oh, so much better. I think it maybe takes that moment where the trumpet comes in, sort of about a minute in, and yeah. you're just like, oh, okay, we're dealing with something different. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a beautiful touch. Um, it really kind of lends emotion to what is already a kind of very emotional kind of trawl through his personal history. Um, it's a very kind of introspective track in that regard, but he paints this beautiful picture of where he's been, um, gets up to where he's at now, which, you know, we've all seen the kind of magic he's creating at the moment. But it was just, it was just, okay, he's he's properly arrived now with this. Yeah, it's kind of one of those American Psycho, Huey Lewis, people don't really listen to the lyrics and they should kind of things. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is, yeah, he references his family life and his family strife, I should say, dressed up in this stunningly gorgeous collection of music. And it's so, I mean, like, I find it very difficult to actually talk about Malibu and Anderson Pack without sounding like a fucking idiot because I think he's doing things that are so, like, kind of gloriously complex but also simple at the same time. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, I can't write about this. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I, I'm not equipped to, to unpack this. What's happening? How are you doing this? And how is he able to, like, pop up so often this year and not get in the way, kind of like Kendrick Lamar arguably did? And I wonder, like, you know, like this year, 2016 felt like Anderson Pack's coming out party. Oh yeah, can he possibly keep up this level, though? I mean, I don't know, and and I'm not even going to attempt to guess on what what 2017 might yeah, hold. You for think him. he's going to have like a Leicester like collapse where he'll just be like <laughs> shambolic next year? Yeah. Well, he is, he is supporting Bruno Mars in Three Arena. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but like, yeah, lyrically, this this song in particular. I, I mean, there are shades of Frank Ocean on this, where he's Absolutely. talking about yep. you know that nostalgic look back at his, his childhood friends and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic song. And a, a pretty good sample of what you're getting from what is a, a fantastic record that I'm sure we'll be talking about next week. Time to get into the business end of this list, guys. It's the top five. How are we feeling? Feeling good. Nervous. Okay. Well, let's go to church. Five. For you, I will shield your name. I will feel their questions. I will feel your pain. They don't know. They don't, they don't know. They don't know. Foot on the devil's neck to the drifted Pangea. I'm moving all my family from Chatham to Zambia. Treat the demons just like Pam. I mean, I fuck with your friends, but damn, Gina. I've been this way since Arthur was Aunt Eater. Now they want to hit me with the woo out the bam. Trying to snap photos of family uh. My daughter look just like Sia You can't see her You can feel the lyrics of spirit coming in braille Tell me of the underground Come and follow the trail I made Sunday candy I'm never going to hell I met Kanye West I'm never going to fail He said let's do a good ass job With Chance 3 I hear you gotta sell it To snatch the Grammy Let's make it so free And the bar so hard That it ain't one gosh darn part You can't tweet This is my part Nobody else speak This is my part Nobody else speak This little light of mine no, Hozier has not made the list. I'm sure he's made some list somewhere with a song that he keeps getting awards for four years on. But whatever. No, no, it's our old friend, Kanye West. Kanye <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It should be sick. Can, can, can we get Chance 
in oh, on this as well because yeah, come I mean, on. he kind of steals the show, doesn't he? Well, he does, do you know yeah. what? If you read up on this song, it seems like it was probably going to be a chance song. And he's just like, all right, Kanye, I'm going to have it. <laughs> I mean, it did seem like there was a seed of, you know, the idea, at least for this song, was in what Chance was doing. And I know we talked about that record earlier in the year, and it didn't quite work for you, Dave. Colouring Book, uh, which I'm... Uh, l- l- was, l- let's give a spoiler for next week's album list. Colouring Book is not on the list, and I'm fucking thrilled. It was because it I wouldn't too have been able, much for you. I wouldn't have been able to put up a United Front. I think Colouring Book is the most hysterically overrated release of 2016, and I think it's exposed a lot of critics who have put it up the top of their list, because I'm like, there is no possible way that you can stand by this as being one of the best records of 2016. It is based as all hell it is the biggest disappointment of the year and I include M83 and Starboy in that Chance the Rapper on this song is perfect this is perfect <laughs> I love that switch up there <laughs> this is utterly perfect and then he goes and releases a brick in the form of colouring book which is the antithesis it shows you that on this track you know you can bring in all the religious overtones I know uh, our, our our lord and saviour Alan Bennett our editor of the show doesn't love Ultra Light Beam because of its religious overtones. Whoa, I gotta jump in here. Lord and Savior Alan Bennett here. Uh, I fucking love Ultra Light Beam. I just don't really like the message. Uh, great song. Great list, guys. Uh, back to work. Bye. I got the problems he got with this song on everything on Coloring Book and also just how phoned in it all felt. Whereas here, Chance the Rapper's words are just so powerful, so incredible. He earns a line like, you know, this is my part, nobody else speak, because, oh my god, man, this is incredible. And the performance on Saturday Night Live, in which Kanye West is ebullient, he is smiling bigger than I've ever seen him smile in his life as he watches Chance, his protege, just fucking nail it. Yeah, so are we giving Kanye credit for this one, in terms of, it's him doing another football metaphor, like, it's the Alec Ferguson thing, where he knows exactly what to get out of people, but then, you know, I think moves so. on when he not just goes, dismiss, that's enough. No, not know? to dismiss Chance the Rapper, like, wholesale, but I think Coloring Book was just so such a disaster of a record. As regards, Ultra Light Beam has so much more going for it than just Chance. I mean, he's just one aspect of a song that is a lot of moving parts mm. and everybody comes to play on this one and it's stunning. And again, I'm not religious at all. I'm not. But I wanted to go to church after I heard this. Did you actually want to go to church? No. One of those American churches where there's like singing and stuff as opposed to just yes. down to... Oh yeah, God, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not like your standard bog standard Irish grey church. <laughs> Slapping away in a bit of lunch afterwards. Like. Sounds great. Yeah. Cool, what do you think? Uh, fantastic it brought me back actually to kind of college dropout era Kanye where in Mm. terms of kind of musical samples even the use of a choir um, it was incredibly well put together and yeah I mean like we've all said Chance just stole the show here I I disagree the colouring book was that weak I thought it was quite good but I would say that yeah this is probably the, the best thing he's done all year and uh yeah it has played a pretty big part in this song sitting where it is in our chart next up four was James Blake with Bonnie Vare. Yet again, I need a forest fire. For a long time, this was my track of the year. Interesting. Uh, dismissed preposterously as an, <laughs> quote, unremarkable electro ballad, 
in the pages of our former flame yeah, by hot a press. former colleague and former friend <laughs> 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 we'll let him away with it but again do you know what but, I, I, I feel like this is another one and there's a certain team to this top 20 where if you're maybe doing a kind of skim review possibly if you're not kind of putting in a, you know a couple of listens this could maybe pass you by it's a slow burner uh, again deceptively you know there's things going on that you don't pick up on first couple of listens but yeah this just kind of entranced me from actually from the get go and it just kind of opened up like a flower it's interesting that this should immediately follow um, a track where Craig said you know is this the idea of you get the perfect guy you know and get what you can out of him yeah. because if you're going to find a voice to use on this track I don't think you could find anyone on the planet more suited than Bonnie Ver. <laughs> and it's such a perfect fix here. I mean, like, the loop is superb. The voice sits brilliantly. There's there's another, there's a little gospel tinge to it at times here. Very much so. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it comes together beautifully. It's uh, ambient chillax music, as <laughs> the Newsnight guy might say to James Blake. That will never get old. Listener, if you don't know what we're referring to, type in James Blake Newsnight into YouTube and enjoy the next two and a half minutes. Um, yeah, this is stunning, and I mean, I have to stop using the word stunning, but it really is, and it's like like many tracks on this list, it takes you somewhere, it brings you somewhere, it brings you somewhere unique and all of its own, and I love how it even starts off with them kind of like noodling in the studio, and Justin Vernon like does a big Ric Flair, yeah. and you hear James Blake be like, yeah. nice, <laughs> that's great, but also to leave that in, on, mm-hmm. and he's been accused of pretension and being po-faced and, and having no sense of self and no sense of humour. Which really. he's not, he's none of those things, yeah. I haven't interviewed him twice, he's Really kind of self-aware, funny guy. Oh, I've interviewed him twice. Yes, he's an old friend of mine, it's James. Uh, yeah, this is a glorious, glorious piece of music. I think it's, I think it's great. And, and to be fair, I've, I've, re- I've had trouble getting into James Blake. I think the Color and End thing is a fabulous record. It's a bit long. We'll get there next week, perhaps. But this is easily one of the best songs of the year, and rightly so reflected in this list. I love it. It's yeah. complex, doesn't it? Stay, it's welcome as well. And that alone is, you know, an impressive enough thing to do. There's four minutes of this track. It could have been a lot more, but uh, yeah, very well done. Yeah. Podium finishes now. Three. Everything sucked back then we were friends. I thought that I was dreaming when you said you loved me. I started nothing. I had no chance to prepare. I couldn't see you coming. The start of nothing new. I could hate you now. It's quite alright to hate me now. But we both know that deep down, the feeling still deep down is good. Our final mention of Frank on hey, this list. Is that list. Frank Ocean? We promise. Um, you know what? I mean, there's, there's going to be people at home thinking, God, not another Frank Ocean song. But I think if there is going to be one on the top three, this is fitting. Because this is probably the best example of kind of a microcosmic example of what you're getting on the album as This is Ivy, by the way. I think it's, you know, it, it's about growing up. It's about love and lost love. It's nostalgic. It's kind of, you know, quite emotional, yet also considered and, and you know, a little bit of restraint going on, not getting hysterical or anything like that. Um, musically, it's brilliant. His mm-hmm. voice is fantastic. The production is sterling. He had um, Rostam and, and Jamie XX involved in this one. Um, yeah, it, it's it's impossible to poke holes in, really. 
It's a great performance by him. It's it's really well written. I mean, he's talked about wanting to write a novel or something like this. This seems like a properly, you know, if the rest of the album has these snatches of things and as Dave says, you're almost like in a conversation when I'm walking around taking in the sights. This feels like a perfectly formed story. Um, you know, it's, it's really well constructed. But then musically, I mean, there's actually a version of this from a couple of years ago now where it had a totally different aesthetic, had kind of pounding drums. It sounded a little awkward, but he's just found this really beautiful kind of off-kilter, I mean, new wave guitar, Rostam's guitar part, which just kind of shouldn't work. I mean, if you look at the chords of this song, it's quite straightforward, but there's something just slightly off or slightly skewed about this that doesn't jar with his voice. And again, it's just that kind of hard-to-figure-out magic of Frank Ocean that he, he pulls it off. You say once again, like, you, you know, you're kind of walking down the street with him or you're, you're there with him in person having a conversation. And it's like, it feels almost like he's putting you at arm's length, but then he's putting that arm around you by the end of the song. And it's just like... Such a tease. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, like even lines like, you know, uh, you ain't that kid no more, we'll never be those kids again. Mm. That is, that hits me like a ton of bricks, man. Yeah. It hits me right in the fucking chest. And it's like, so much of Blonde is about this idea of the loss of innocence and, and growing older and looking back and knowing that you can never, you know, like you can never, ever, ever go back. You can't go back. You, like, you got to live what you've done and who you are and the mistakes that you've made and the life experiences that you've had. And it's such an elegant maturation in that regard. And I love how it ends. I love how it ends with like you know him screaming like Prince and yeah. how you know it sounds almost I mean he's like- got that thing on Nikes as well which is just kind of the pitch shifting as well yeah. and he'd written that beautiful thing about Prince so clearly an influence over the years it was nice to hear that kind of thing and it from. sounds like you know Rostam's guitar is being ripped out of the wall yeah and it sounds yeah, like it just it's, walks it's, it's, out of the studio yeah, kind of moment, it sounds yeah. like someone has put their fist through a snare drum yeah it's it, it just sounds like everything kind of coming to this incredible flourish and like like this we use the word vulnerability around by Kanye's wolves this is every bit as vulnerable if not more this is one of the most vulnerable pieces of music one of the most incredible confessions I've ever heard it's stunning the whole presentation the whole production the whole thing again we're dealing with someone who's at the top of their game he knows it and we're lucky enough to hear it that's enough Frank for this show at least yeah. tune in next week but in the meantime point feature Rostam <laughs> giving the game away at all doubles up on the podium two Yeah, so it's Rostam and Hamilton Lighthouser this time, or Hamilton Lighthouser and Rostam to give them their more yes. proper title. Uh, the song is like called A 1000 Times, which isn't <laughs> a proper title either. Should have been kind of struck off just because of that, but um, no, it's a good enough song that we, we let it in. Yeah, it, silver medal. It says something if, if a room full of journalists is able to thumbs up a song with a grammatical error. Um, it's got to be good, and uh, it is. It's great. Um, I mean, like, yeah, does it borrow liberally from certain songs, including Peter, Paul and Mary's 500 Miles? You bet your ass it does. But does it do it incredibly well? You bet your ass it does. And it's just such a pleasure to hear Hamilton and Rostam work together. You could make the argument that some people have that Rostam arguably is a bit too much of a presence on that album. I don't necessarily hear it, but 
I, you know, I take your point. But I mean, this is just glorious. And I remember the first time we heard this, Cullen was not that you weren't terribly convinced, but it did take you a while to warm up to it fully. It did. I I remember. I thought it was kind of a little bit monotonous, so to speak, in terms of it, its sort of vocal delivery. I think that's simply because I wasn't prepared for it to be so damn happy. Essentially, I, w- I wasn't expecting, you know, an Ebulian song like this. I thought it was going to be a bit of a, you know, up and down rather than we're staying up here. And yeah, once one, once you get your head around that, uh, you can enjoy it for what it's worth. And at that point, yeah, you're kind of but pounding the streets and marching about. This is the thing, pounding the streets. I mean, and you, again, you feel like you feel like Hamilton would like stumble out of a bar and grab you by the neck and you'd be part of his party then. And it would be like the fucking best <laughs> night ever. And even like... A lot sim- of wishful thinking in this. Because <laughs> yeah, it can still happen. Uh, even simple things like, you know, like lines like, you know, if I had your number, I'd call you tomorrow. It's like, it doesn't need to be anything more than that. It doesn't need to be anything more about the idea, this idyllic thing and this like idea of falling into just like a great part of life and like, and roaring it and like roaring it for, like, like at the top of your fucking lungs with your mates. It's that kind of a song. It it's exactly what it needs to be, and it's it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, it's not that happy. I mean, when it cuts into that, the tent of November, the year's almost over. I'm just like, I'm about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. In a year and a couple of years where indie rock, if that's still a thing, has been so poor. Absolutely, we've yeah. had no real great showings from you know a, f- a few here and there, particularly maybe at home. Um, but this was just nice to see two kind of heavyweights of that kind of thing over you know the far side of the Atlantic joining forces and doing something that was actually kind of current and very, you know, just something that was insistent. Um, and I do like Rostam's production on it because I think it gives it that modern edge to what is a kind of a tune. I mean, Dave, as you said, it kind of borrows liberty from, you know, bits and pieces. But it could have been like a, a trad song from the 1890s. You know, it really has that old thing. Like, you know, Shane McGowan could have sang this. Oh, yeah. It has very oh, much yeah. that, listen, you know, you know last order. Sometimes I listen to, to, to Hamilton Lighthouse's delivery and then this song in particular. And I think that... Irish fans at Euro 2016 could have gathered around a French woman and sang this at them. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, like, it does all come back to that voice, though. And even, like, the way, the command he has on lines like, if my eyes were open, I'd be kicking the doors in. He gets so much more out of that than me just there. Like, it's... (laughs) I know, don't undersell yourself, Yeah, yeah, I I gave him my best shot. (laughs) I felt like crying. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I feel like like my vocal cords would quite literally burst out of my neck if I tried (laughs) to do a Hamilton Lighthouser impression, so I will not do that. But he is glorious, and I hope he doesn't have no voice in ten years. But that's a possibility. Yeah, Jesus. It is, unfortunately. <laughs> He's hitting it pretty hard, man. Rod Stewart's All right, boys. We're at number one. Oh God! Don't bang the table. <laughs> I got excited. That's not going to come across very well in the audio. Presumably it's just all edited out. Uh, no, no, leave it in. We're on the fly here. We are at number one. And like you said, yeah, number one that maybe we didn't see coming. I wonder what the listeners think is going to be there. And if they have any idea that it is this. Yeah, at the start of the year, we probably wouldn't have seen an Ariana Grande song topping our top tunes of 2016. But what do you know? Into You 
is at the yeah, top of I our mean, highly scientific list. Guys, it's the most cliched kind of indie hipster music journalist thing ever, isn't it? But it number happens. one, it's a Max Martin song <laughs> <laughs> by like teen pop, well, former teen pop sensation Ariana Grande. It happened by itself, And man. you know what? I was thinking that, you know, when the list had come out and I was re-listening to songs this week, it's such a fucking brilliant song. I was like, nope, that's a great song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we mentioned earlier some of those, you know, ground rules for perfect pop. You know, you mm. want the efficiency of it. I remember listening to this song and almost willing it not to mess up because it had built quite nicely. It starts off fairly understated. It comes together well. But you're just kind of thinking, oh, and this is where like they get a fucking rapper in or this is where it goes on for a minute and a half too long and the chorus repeats ad nauseum and, you know, it just ruins it. And it just doesn't happen. They've got the middle eight, then you've got like a chorus with the music stripped out, then a full chorus, then a chorus with the vocals stripped out and just a few little flourishes going on. It's perfect. That was like football commentary then. <laughs> then a chorus, then it cuts back in. <laughs> and then Max Martin just floats that chorus over the box and Ariana Grande sees it and she says, thank you. And she heads it in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've kind of been dying on a lonely hill all year, but I'm willing to, <laughs> in other Morrissey lyrics, in as much as I've made the contention, <laughs> Craig's gone, I've made the contention that, uh, that, Touch It, which is on this record, is arguably as good, if not better, a song. Mm. But, you know, I'm willing to step back from that. And, and It's a good song. It's nowhere on close this to this. Into You is, is, is magnificent. We talked about how we were like, what's going to be the best, biggest pop song in the summer? Like, what's going to be the Can't Feel My Face of this year or the Get Lucky or whatever? I'd argue that the song is better than both. And it's glorious. It has every single thing that a pop song should have, as Cullen has already perfectly detailed. And an exceptional performance by his leading light. We've talked before on the podcast about how Ariana Grande, whose voice is difficult to pronounce, is just top of her fucking game and can do apparently anything. Uh, I think Dangerous Woman is a great record. I think Into You is the standout along with Touch It uh, in terms of that kind of a track, but she has moved from style to style quite well. And, you, you know, this could never possibly miss. This is such a great marriage. It's perfect. It's yeah. a five-star pop song. And again, it's worth noting that, you know, in the pop world, it hasn't been glorious year, not quite as bad as indie rock or anything, but I think the girls have done a better job than the guys as regards pop music in 2016, and I think Ariana Grande deserves to stand tall amongst all of them. And has this song kind of been overlooked? I think it has. I think it has. Yeah, I think it definitely has. I, I, I didn't have the gigantic, you know, light the blue touch paper success. Of, yeah, of I can't feel my face. I think that's lucky. because most people haven't seen the vine of the dog driving around to it. To be honest, that is the Neither greatest thing. What? what? The I need to see this. Oh man, it's like let's wrap this episode up. Five five seconds on. <laughs> Thank great- God we we're almost at the end of the episode, Craig. You don't want to have to wait for this. It's the greatest vine of 2016. If 2016 gives us nothing else, that vine is worth it. And the song is worth it. The song is worth being our number one. Uh, so congratulations, Ariana Grande. Ow! She'll be she, delighted with that. Yeah, she can call <laughs> into the studio in the new year to collect her trophy. We'll present um, her with her yeah. with our no encore trophy. And uh, that about does it for our top 20, our top yeah. 20 songs. Our first ever, guys. How do you feel? Yeah, pretty good. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm emotional. I think yeah. that went well. I think it went pretty well. Yeah. 
I hope the listeners feel the same way. If you don't, though, tweet at us. Tweet at No Encore Show on the Twitter account that we should probably really start using. We're going to. We're all up. <laughs> tweet us all we up like in your tweets as well. Now. We don't just want abuse. Yeah, let us know. I mean, like, give us your thoughts. Uh, it will be available in the form of a Spotify playlist, but it won't have Beyonce on it because she's not on Spotify. Yeah, at least title. at least uh, this record isn't. So maybe if she'd actually broken up with Jay Z, but no. Maybe we'll throw in Touch It as well to to, to sure. bolster yeah. my argument. But uh, thank you so much for listening. And next week, we'll be back to you with the top 20 albums of the year, some of which you can probably guess <laughs> at this point. But there are some surprises in there Plenty as well. <laughs> Plenty of surprises. <laughs> Plenty of surprises. My name is Dave Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore, but there will be our song of 2016. Yeah. So name
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Lads, Glenn has, to, Glenn has to play a gig last week for five hours. No, it's, it's not five hours. <laughs> it's, from the last, it's from last Monday. I think he played more than one. He also, he, he also pitched is he up. Right? Is he just out of control and gigging constantly <laughs> now? He just hasn't eaten or slept in like two weeks. But, um, yeah, so Rick said, like, you know, he kind of felt weird that he'd never seen Glenn Hansard. So he said, fuck it, I'll go. So I went to see Glenn Hansard last night. At one point, he got a fellow up on stage because his girlfriend had been in contact with Glenn to say this fellow sang really good versions of his oh, songs and seemed like a really genuine person. The fellow has no Glenn idea this that. was happening, but comes on stage to sing a song with Glenn, who hands him a guitar and walks off, leaving poor John by himself in front of a sold out Vicker Street. Goes to play Falling Slowly. Glenn comes out and says, not that song. Ties for two minutes to attach a capo with mixed results. Gets it on eventually and starts in to leave. After reversing chorus, he blanks on the lyrics and stands there for two minutes strumming the same chord until Glenn shouts, what's wrong with you, John? (laughs) Eventually he comes out, but also doesn't know the lyrics. Joins in at the end of the song to sing, just finish up your song and then leave, leave. Wow. <laughs> as well as that, there was a homeless looking fella from Kerry that would jump on stage every so often and start reciting some poetry in Irish. I think that's one of the frames, isn't it? Didn't finish, <laughs> until, didn't finish until 12.30. He also informed us that he'd been searching for the appropriate poetic response to the Syrian crisis and he'd settled on the conclusion that it was for him to write more songs. Let's hear those sleigh bells jingling. Because love is a soldier. The been thinking about McDonald's all day Can't get it off my mind I can already taste it Ooh, Got my mind on my mouth And my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50 Mix and match a classic McChicken A hot and spicy McChicken Or a juicy McDouble Price and participation may vary Cannot be combined with combo meal Single item at regular price 